A lot of Americans actually think they know a great deal about Islam. Much of what they know is false. It's based on propaganda. And I think one of the things that's been uncovered in this anti-mosque protest in New York and this Quran-burning incident, what's been uncovered is just how successful the propaganda machine has been about Islam uh, pretty much under the radar uh, over the last number of years. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. My co-host, Bob Ambrosi is away on business today. And I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law, and Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. While many have around the world were paying tribute to those who lost their lives on September 11, 2001, Pastor Terry Jones from the Dove World Outreach Center out of Gainesville, Florida, took center stage when he announced that he would burn 200 copies of the Koran on the anniversary of 9-11 in a protest against Islam. Immediately, General Petraeus lashed out at Jones, saying his actions could put our troops in harm's way. New York's Mayor Bloomberg stated that although distasteful, the First Amendment protected Jones, and after a media frenzy, Pastor Jones decided to cancel the controversial event. So today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to look at this controversy, the First Amendment, religion, potential impact on Jones's and others like him that could have on national security and how other countries around the world view America when it comes to religion. So we have two great guests today. Our first guest is Mark Potok. He is the director of of the Intelligence Project at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Mark leads one of the most highly regarded non-governmental operations monitoring hate groups and extremism in the world today. In addition to editing the Southern Poverty Law Center's quarterly investigative journal, The Intelligence Report, and its Hate Watch blog, Mark acts as the key spokesman for issues involving extremism. He has testified before the U.S. Senate, the United Nations High Commission on Human Rights, and in other venues. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Mark Potok. Well, thanks so much for having me. And our next guest is Dr. Charles C. Haynes. He is the Director of Religious Freedom Education Project at the Museum and Senior Scholar at the First Amendment Center. He writes and speaks extensively on religious liberty and religion in American public life. He's best known for his work on First Amendment issues in public schools. Over the past two decades, he's been the principal organizer and drafter of consensus guidelines on religious liberty in schools and has been endorsed by a broad range of religious and educational organizations. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Dr. Charles Haynes. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Mark, let's start out with you. Um, you monitor extremists and hate groups all across the world. Um, can you give us a little bit of history on Pastor Jones? Well, uh, one of the interesting things about uh, Terry Jones is that this is not his only uh, sort of manifestation of extremism. Uh, this spring, he got into trouble 
because during a mayoral election uh, in which a city commissioner, a gay man, was running uh, for mayor, uh, uh, this Pastor Jones put out signs uh, all around his church, no homo mayor. Really ugly stuff. And his congregation were wearing T-shirts uh, to that effect and so on. Uh, ultimately, uh, a complaint was made by the uh, Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, and a very valid complaint, uh, alleging that he was electioneering. Uh, the response of Terry Jones to this was simply to go out and cut off the end of his signs, uh, so the church was left surrounded with no homo signs. Uh, in any event, he has apparently uh, criticized Hinduism and any number of other things. I think this really is a bit of a uh, fringe nut who uh, managed to cash in in a huge way uh, on a big media event. He's also in the middle of a, Charles, he's also in the middle of a lawsuit right now with the local school district because he sent uh, some of the students in his congregation to school wearing Islam is of the devil t-shirts. That's the title of a book he's written. And uh, the school, uh, not surprisingly, uh, said the kids could not wear those t-shirts in the school uh, because they were inflammatory and there were Muslim students in the schools, among other things. And uh, and so now uh, the district is being sued for violating the uh, the speech rights of these students. Well, we've seen uh, a lot of uh, flag burning. We've even seen our president uh, over the years burned in effigy. Uh, Charles, what is it about burning the Koran that inflames Muslims across the world? Well, I can't speak for for Muslims, but I I would I think that the best way to think about that is uh, for any person of deep faith, if if their scriptures or uh, the leader of their faith is is, is uh, attacked. Uh, if it's desecrated, uh, you know, it's a very emotional issue. It, it, it angers people, it upsets people. Uh, and, and I think for Muslims particularly, the, because the Quran is considered by Muslims to be the direct word of God uh, and, the, and the source of, of truth and revelation, uh, it, it really does go to the heart of who they are in their faith. So I think it's deeply offensive to, to many Muslims. Mark, how do you balance the illegality of hate speech against the First Amendment? Well, I mean, there is no speech that is uh, especially protected as, or, or especially uh, targeted uh, in a criminal way as hate speech. I mean, uh, hate speech has the same kinds of uh, limits as, you know, as the very few uh, First Amendment limits we have to speech in general. Uh, the exception to that is on university campuses, uh, you know, where many campuses have adopted these uh, kind of speech codes. Uh, but as a general matter, you know, it seems to me that the most you can do with the Terry Jones uh, is similar uh, to what was done, essentially hold him up uh, to shame for what he is doing, make the point, as General Petraeus did, uh, that he was actually placing American men and women in danger overseas. Uh, and beyond that, uh, you know, I don't know uh, really what there is to do. Certainly there was no uh, obvious legal remedy. I mean, he couldn't be forced uh, to not do this, and, and ultimately he wasn't. And this is a worldwide debate right now as to whether or not uh, hate speech, uh, blasphemy, uh, and other uh, forms of speech related to that can be uh, criminalized. And in some countries, it is. Uh, and, and in Europe, in some European countries, there are hate speech laws. Uh, and as Mark says, in some campuses in this, in this country, there's been an attempt uh, to uh, outlaw hate speech. Uh, of course, uh, I think those codes are unconstitutional and in some cases have already been struck down as unconstitutional. But nevertheless, in our country, it's a bit different. We, As Mark says, we don't 
uh, outlaw hate speech. We protect the right of people to be offensive, uh, if you will. Let, let me and, add something, if I might, which is just from personal experience. I've, I've been at a number of international conferences uh, on right-wing extremism that, that get into these issues. And my own personal experience is that uh, generally uh, Europeans and Canadians as well see us uh, as a bit out of our minds on this issue. They don't, uh, generally speaking, again, they don't seem to uh, see any distinction between speech and uh, action uh, and think that it is an artificial distinction being made. Uh, by us. And I had an experience a few years ago at a conference in Stockholm uh, in which I spoke up at one point uh, in defense of free speech and said, you know, I really thought it was better to confront some of this speech on the Internet with more speech, kind of the classic American position. Uh, A guy stood up behind me, grabbed the microphone from a a French anti-racist group and said, uh, you know, America uberalis. In other words, I was called a Nazi for defending uh, free speech uh, in that forum. Well, there's certainly a, a difference across the world and perspectives that people use in in terms of our our free speech. But what if it had gone through? What if he, if Pastor Jones had burned uh, the Koran? We would not have been able to stop him, presumably. Um, how would the world have viewed what he what he did? Would he would they have viewed it as something that is American because we tolerated it, or would they just view it as an act of an individual? I'm not sure who you're addressing, but I would say that uh, there's a kind of appetite out there for these sorts of stories. Uh, I've noticed, I've done a lot of press work over the last 10, 15 years, uh, and, you know, this is not to attack anybody, but it is, I think, undeniably true that much of the European press in particular uh, is really interested in stories uh, that essentially show that Americans aren't all they're cracked up to be. Uh, I know there's a tremendous appetite for the Klan is still alive story. Uh, you know, dateline to somewhere in Arkansas and, and run in the British papers or whatever it may be. So I think the reality is, is that this whole thing with Terry Jones really got going with the BBC, with the British Broadcasting uh, Corporation, which uh, turned it into a fairly large story. And of course, they're very international. So it immediately became a gigantic story uh, overseas, even before it really uh, became a national story here. And unfortunately, in some parts of the world, particularly in uh, Muslim countries, uh, this story would have triggered, uh, it already had begun to trigger, riots and backlash and violence. Uh, In Kashmir and uh, Afghanistan, there were riots. So I think that that would have been the case in many places. Uh, And, of course, that does place uh, us in a very difficult position in defending the right of people to offend. But I think that what uh, the president, the secretary of state, and others were trying to do was to speak loudly that this does not represent the United States, uh, this is not who we are, but that, of course, we also stand for freedom of speech and expression. And and that's a tough message to get across in the middle of a crisis. It, it's the right message, and it's true, and I think we, we need to stand for those principles, uh, uh, but it's very difficult to do in a, in a, in a moment of crisis. And there's a doctrine in constitutional law that says that you can't cry fire in a crowded theater because the chances that you're going to injure a lot of people that try to to uh, stampede to the exit. Is there any kind of allegory between what Pastor Jones was trying to do is essentially crying fire in a crowded theater of the world 
in the sense that he would have gotten our troops killed and uh, such a backlash against America that we might have had another 9-11 attack or something akin to that? Well, I think the Justice Holmes said you can't falsely cry fire in a crowded theater because, of course, you should cry fire if, if the theater is indeed on fire. Uh, but having said that, I think it's also the case that, uh, you know, this is uh, not parallel to that, in my view, because if we go down that road, so much that is said in the United States, so much that is broadcast and printed, uh, could easily be labeled as deeply offensive to Muslims or to other groups. Uh, and so if we begin to say that because things are deeply offensive, even to the point of inciting deep emotions uh, or riots, uh, that they must be somehow censored or that they are the same as in, in endangering people's lives in an imminent way, uh, then I think we would lose free speech very quickly. So, Mark, are there any hateful acts that are illegal or uh, are we just that tolerant that we allow anything to, to uh, be said and, and any action to be taken? Well, I, I think there's a big misunderstanding out there about what hate crimes are. What are we talking about? We're talking about hate crimes. The reality is, is that we're talking about crimes, crimes that already exist on the books, aggravated battery, murder, vandalism, and so on. So really, hate crimes are simply crimes pre-existing, as I said, exist on the statute books, uh, which are motivated in whole or in part by a particular type of hatred, hatred based on uh, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, uh, gender, and so on. Um, so really, uh, when we're talking about hate crimes, we're talking about the punishment phases of these trials. Uh, you know, if I punch you in the nose because you tried to steal my girlfriend, uh, maybe I will get three months uh, in a county jail someplace. But if I do it and it's clear to the jury that I did it because uh, you are of a color or ethnicity or whatever it may be that I don't like, uh, you know, I may wind up serving nine months. Uh, so the short answer to your question is not really. There is no independent class of hate crimes. And this is certainly not a crime because it's protected speech. That's right. I mean, I think uh, uh, that's very true. You know, one thing, and uh, to go back to, uh, for just a moment to something you, uh, was mentioned earlier, you know, I think the reality is is that most countries out there watching this Koran uh, controversy unfold uh, found it very difficult to believe uh, that the President of the United States, you know, arguably the most powerful nation in the world and all the rest of it, uh, was unable somehow to shut this man up. Uh, but of course, that's the basis of our system and what really makes it quite unique. Well, Charles, religion's been, you know, pretty much at the forefront of the Obama presidency, and, and many have claimed that President Obama is a is a Muslim and, and somehow view that as bad. And there was, you know, we talked about um, uh, Reverend Jones sending uh, some of his parishioners to school wearing uh, Islam as a devil t-shirts. Where does that come from? Why such a, a sense of of uh, distrust. I mean, we are a, a nation, a melting pot with a lot of different religions. Why is it that we're so attuned to um, to Muslims? Well, I think that the uh, obvious first answer is, of course, that since the terrible events of 9-11, uh, there has been a great confusion in this country about Islam, about Muslims, about the relationship of, of Islam to terrorism. Uh, that's not surprising. And uh, any any day one reads the newspaper, there are all kinds of incidents around the world involving Muslim and terrorism. And so this, of course, leads many Americans to, to fear, 
uh, Islam or to fear Muslims. Now, uh, in spite of the fact that many American Muslims and Muslims elsewhere have tried very hard to distinguish Islam from the extremist groups that are acting in the name of Islam, uh, this conflation of Islam and terrorism uh, has has become uh, widespread in the United States. Since 9-11, has actually been a cottage industry, I would call it, uh, of uh, Islamophobia, really, of trying to use this moment of crisis when people are confused and, and afraid to convince people that somehow Islam itself is the root of the problem. That it's not just people acting in the name of Islam, or it's not just some radical Muslims, a small percentage of, of Muslims around the world, but actually that the religion itself is inherently violent and evil. Uh, now this goes back before 9-11, of course, uh, it's a long, you know, fight, uh, about Islam and, and among, uh, Christians and Christian nations, but this more recent chapter has been very insidious and very successful. Uh, a lot of Americans actually think they know a great deal about Islam. Much of what they know is false. It's based on propaganda. And I think one of the things that's been uncovered in this anti-mosque protest in New York and this uh, Quran burning incident, what's been uncovered is just how successful the propaganda machine has been about Islam uh, pretty much under the radar. Uh, over the last number of years. Yeah, if I might add something, I mean, it is uh, quite instructive to look at hate crime numbers as uh, sketchy and incomplete as they as they really are. Uh, if one looks at FBI national hate crime statistics going back to the first uh, year when they were complete, 95, uh, through the latest year, 2008, what you see is almost zero anti-Muslim hate crimes until 2001. I'm talking about on the order of 26, 27, 29 nationally, those kinds of numbers. Uh, that held right through the first uh, eight and a half months of 2001, and then, of course, 9-11 occurred. Uh, in the next two and a half months, three and a half months, we saw a 1,700% increase uh, in anti-Muslim hate crimes. And that, that, I think, is not unexpected, and people will remember something between three and eight people were murdered during that uh, backlash. But what also occurred at the same time uh, was President Bush gave uh, a number of really very good speeches. Uh, he talked uh, repeatedly about how Muslims are not our enemy. Arabs are not our enemy. Our enemy is a very specific terrorist network, an al-Qaeda network. Uh, you know, he uh, went uh, to the National Cathedral on a Sunday with a well-known imam. He did a number of these things. Uh, and I think what it showed uh, was the importance of political leadership in these moments, because the reality is, is that the very next year, 2002, a mere three and a half months later, uh, hate crimes against Muslims dropped by more than two-thirds, uh, and they continued to drop through the rest of the decade between 2002 and 2008, so the last numbers we have. You know, we don't have statistics to tell us what's going on right now yet, but what I think is obvious, uh, well, it seems obvious anecdotally that we are seeing uh, a surge in these crimes and these mosque uh, controversies around the country, in California, uh, Tennessee, all kinds of places, New York. Uh, and I think that what is going on this time is that we are seeing uh, politicians uh, bringing this up, really fanning the flames, 
pouring gasoline on the fire, doing things like running ads, saying on television, uh, claiming that the uh, proposed Islamic Center in New York would be a, quote, celebration uh, of the murder of 3,000 people, 3,000 Americans. Uh, you know, so I think that uh, the politicians have played a really loathsome role uh, in the last six months, and it's difficult not to imagine uh, that it is related to uh, electoral prospects. Yeah, I think that's right. And, uh, of course, some politicians have played a very good role. We should add uh, Mayor Bloomberg, True. Uh, the President of the United States. I think Mayor Bloomberg particularly deserves a lot of credit. He was out early on this and strongly defending the religious freedom of, of Muslims at a cost, at a political cost. I talked to a Justice Department official yesterday, and, and he told me, uh, this isn't published yet, but he said to me, he said, look, we've had uh, in, in our history of looking at these since 9-11, these anti-mosque incidents, just focusing on that for a moment, he said, we've had 18 that we've taken very seriously, attacks on, on mosques. He said, but eight of those have come since May of this year. Uh, and he said, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, a, a spike that is very disturbing. He also said that there's been a spike in, in uh, recent months and weeks uh, of uh, attacks on Muslims in the United States that they've, they've had to look at. So I think that, you know, this is a very dangerous time. Uh, and I think this wave of anti-Mos protests is something that um, really doesn't augur well for the future of religious freedom for Muslims in the United States unless we get out ahead of it. What is it that Americans need to understand about the Muslim faith? I mean, what, what are we missing and what are we getting wrong? Well, unfortunately, the public schools in the United States uh, ha have not done a very good job, just to pick on them for a moment, of teaching people about religions in a way that helps people have some context for when these, these incidents come up, these crises come up. So what we do, we absolutely need to think, rethink how we're dealing with religion in the curriculum in public schools and make sure that students have a good grounding in at least the major religions of the world so that we understand our neighbors, we understand world events. Uh, but I do think they need to, right now, the media really has to help the American people understand uh, that Islam is, is you know, not... Uh, get beyond the stereotypes and, and understand uh, how most Muslims read the Quran, interpret it, what Sharia law actually is for many Muslims, and also to understand Islam in America. There have been mosques and Muslims and Muslim activity in America for, for decades, and, uh, you know, they are in our army, they are our professionals, they are all over uh, our country working in our communities, teachers, doctors, and I think that the American people need to know more about who's here and who they are uh, in order to understand something of the uh, propaganda uh, that, that, that's being disseminated. Well, gentlemen, we, we need to take a quick break here. When we return, we'll talk more about the First Amendment religion and the next steps in this controversy. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. 
SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com slash legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Engage your brain. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all the great legal podcasts. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE. Click on it and start listening. Or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're joined by Mark Potok, the director of the Intelligence Project, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and Dr. Charles C. Haynes, director of the Religious Freedom and Education Project at the Museum and senior scholar at the First Amendment Center. Mark, before the break, you had a thought? Yeah, it seems to me also that uh, we need as a society, and this may be a task especially suited to lawyers, uh, to confront uh, the mythology, the propaganda out there directly. And what I'm thinking of when I say that is, I would say, the kind of hottest thing uh, in the false propaganda uh, directed at Muslims department right now is the idea that Sharia Sharia law is going to be somehow implanted uh, into state and federal laws around the the United States. I mean, this is a myth uh, that is uh, going on and being propagated more and more every day, and perhaps uh, Charles can speak more directly to the the legal aspects of it, but it seems to me obviously false, uh, obviously a scare tactic. It reminds me of, uh, you know, Lou Dobbs on CNN saying that immigrants were bringing uh, thousands of cases of leprosy to the United States, you know, entirely false, uh, but very scary sounding. Yes, it's a propaganda tool that has no basis in reality. I mean, Sharia law cannot be imposed. It would be unconstitutional. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, people of faith have every right to voluntarily follow their faith. And so just as many Catholics follow canon law and many Jews follow Jewish law in matters, say, of marriage and uh, divorce and other issues, uh, uh, as long as those laws don't interfere with the laws or, or counter the laws of the United States, people are free to practice their faith. And so no more or no less are Muslim Americans free uh, to practice the laws and regulations of their faith voluntarily. Uh, but that has no impact on the rest of us. Uh, and courts, of course, uh, are very careful uh, in these matters because of the First Amendment uh, not to let religious law be imposed uh, through the civil courts. So that's just not going to happen. 
Well, Mark, what else do we need to change? I mean, in addition to the legal aspects and lawyers speaking out, what kind of changes do we need to see in order to stop this kind of uh, controversy from coming up in the future and, and kind of bringing some peace to the different religions? Well, uh, you know, I'm not sure uh, precisely how to answer that. Uh, you know, I would say for uh, from our own point of view, from the Southern Poverty Law Center's point of view, uh, you know, a, a very, uh, you know, a tactic we use a great deal is to kind of name and shame people. So if there are certain people uh, in public life in particular, uh, you know, well-known people, politicians, uh, media commentators, and so on, uh, pushing out falsehoods like this, I think that's the kind of thing we feel like is, is really essential to confront. Because, you know, it is one thing to have a Terry Jones uh, in a, with a tiny congregation off in Gainesville, Florida, saying he's going to burn Korans. Uh, although that may, may raise a great deal of excitement outside of the country, the, the reality is, of course, Jones is an utter, uh, you know, pariah, a guy on the fringe of the fringe. Uh, so I think far more dangerous are, are people I would call mainstreamers, people who essentially act as a conveyor belt uh, carrying these uh, false propaganda, demonizing propaganda and conspiracy theories uh, into the mainstream. Uh, you know, it seems to me that the biggest problem, as, as Charles suggested, really, uh, the biggest problem out there uh, is people's ignorance. Uh, they need to be armed with the facts, uh, and uh, I think we're all far more likely to come to a good end uh, proceeding in that way than having debates about things which have no basis in reality, like Sharia law imposition and so on. Well, Charles, where where can we go to get the facts? I mean, what where is there an easy place to discover uh, the, the basics of the Muslim faith and get an understanding of what it was involved? Well, there are many many possibilities. I think uh, there's a website twenty thousand dialogues dot org that has some very good uh, work that's been done to document Muslims in the United States what they believe and practice. Uh, you hear directly from some of the Muslims, including some Muslim first responders in the 9-11 attacks. Uh, and so I think that will help people. That's a good starting point for people really understanding who's here, who they are, who, who our neighbors are. Uh, and then there are many, of course, Muslim American organizations that, uh, and, and mosques and local neighborhoods. It's interesting because a study, recent study showed that out of Duke, Duke University that mosques actually are uh, one of the best ways that we can fight extremism because many imams around the country have programs for youth that and uh, other kinds of, of programs that really try to fight any any extremism that might arise within the Muslim community. So mosques actually should be welcomed in communities and not protested against. But I think we need to really uh, have an honest conversation, and I think American Muslims have to be very much a part of it. And they, too, have to help Americans understand the differences uh, among Muslims, uh, the war that's going on in some parts of the world between Muslims over what Islam is. I think we need an honest conversation so that Americans aren't just simply told, well, you know, there's no reason for you to be afraid or upset. Of course, there's a lot of reason to be afraid and upset. There's, there's terrorism going on around the world, and people are afraid. So I think we need to be forthright and honest about it. And I think one of the most important things that we can all do is get to know who's living in our neighborhoods. I mean, there are millions of Muslims living in the United States as good, loyal citizens. And I think the more we do to actually reach out, visit their the mosques, uh, get to know our Muslim neighbors, the more we will create a climate of understanding and tolerance. 
Well, Mark, we've just about reached the end of our program, so it's time to uh, get your final thoughts and your contact information. Let's start with you. Well, I, I just, uh, as far as final thoughts, uh, you know, I, I couldn't agree with Charles more. I mean, I just think that that is what is called for, some kind of reasonable dialogue within communities, uh, at a, both at a national level and at the most local level possible. I just think that is where uh, these kinds of prejudices and hatreds uh, dissipate. Uh, you know, I think that people should be extremely wary uh, of believing what they read on the Internet, uh, believing what they read in these terrible email chains that are sent around uh, about what Muslims supposedly believe and do. Uh, and remember, you know, remember to think of the way that uh, Jews have been defamed for several thousand years, you know, on the basis of utterly false ideas like the, you know, the blood libel of, uh, you know, using Christian children's blood to make matzah and so on. Uh, in any case, so that, that I think is, is, is what we need. Uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center is in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, we've got a, a big website, www.splcenter.org. Uh, the investigative magazine I publish or I edit is called The Intelligence Report, and you can go just to intelligencereport.org for about 15 years or so of archives of the magazine. Uh, and just that, that's where we are. Great. Well, thank you very much, Mark. And Charles, your final thoughts and your contact information. I think it's very important for Americans to understand that if we're going to live with our differences in the 21st century, including our religious differences, we're going to have to do a much better job of understanding one another, of reaching out to one another. Uh, We're now the most religiously diverse nation in the world, and this comes with uh, great challenges and also opportunities. Uh, And I think this uh, fight over... uh, Muslims in America is an opportunity uh, to say, look, we need to do better. We need to, to learn about one another uh, and take each other much more seriously. Um, and if people want to have guidelines on how to improve education on these issues, we've worked on that, and, uh, and they can visit firstamendmentcenter.org and, uh, and find guidelines on religion in schools and how to encourage schools to do a better job of educating young people about our religious uh, similarities and differences, who we are. Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. We really appreciate your involvement in uh, this really sensitive topic this morning. And uh, that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, for our listeners, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're also on iTunes, and you can get CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center. We'll be back again next week to discuss a great legal topic. In the meantime, if you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. 
and me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.